So guys, we've been through a tough sermon series. To be honest with you, I told a few of you that I was thinking we're a newer church. <clears throat> we got a lot of people who maybe even new believers and unchurched, haven't really been around the church before. So my thoughts, being the naive man I am, was let's jump in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll, we'll get to the basics, keep it nice and light. Now I've heard the Sermon on the Mount my whole life. <clears throat> I've read it. But then I started preparing on preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. I said, there is nothing light about this sermon. It is heavy hitter, soul changing, heart check, repent or reject type of message. Would we expect anything else from the Son of God? Like you don't become incarnate, be born a virgin, then come preach a fluffy message. Right? Jesus, our Savior, our King, the lover of our souls, came. He came right for our hearts. He said, follow me. He said, don't fake it. He said, be pure. The pure in heart will see God. Be broken in spirit. Mourn over your sin. Be peacemakers. Be willing to be persecuted. Follow me. And it's been heavy. So this is our final message. I hope your worlds have been turned upside down in such a grace-filled way. But this is kind of a response message. How have you responded to all of these heart checks, heart examination, Jesus calling us to be pure and holy and seek perfection in his grace by the power of his Holy Spirit? How have you responded? Are you a person who has problems with authority? Are you a person who loves to come under Loving authority when you know that person cares for you. Are you a person who rejects authority or runs to it for the health of your soul? Especially when it comes to the Son of God. <clears throat> As a culture, we have a serious problem with authority. No one's telling us what to do. Can I get an amen in the bad way? Right? I control my life. Who do you think you are? What's your tone with me? All our kind of authority don't even come at me like that. Stuff is going on. So it snowed a lot lately, if you haven't noticed. And so I got caught watching YouTube two nights in a row. It was just like I couldn't do anything else, man. I'm like, I'm going to YouTube. There's so much snow. Grace, grace, I'm watching YouTube videos. And so all of a sudden I got into people who got into altercations with the police. I don't know. If you grew up on cops like me, it just takes a hold of your soul. Sometimes you see an episode and you go on a run and say, what's wrong with me? So I'm watching all these <clears throat> videos, and I realize the heart of man has such a problem with authority. I'm just reminded of this truth. We hate authority. We hate any kind of authority, and we many times hate the authority of God. This one video I was watching, because you know how they put those little titles and they say, the craziest video you've ever seen in your life. And I fell for it. I said, oh, let's do this. A woman had got pulled over in a minivan. A minivan. She's got her whole family in the car. It's a routine traffic violation. The cop is a nice cop. A great cop. A caring cop. He is being so patient. He was actually more patient than I even expected. He says to the woman, <clears throat> there was a traffic violation. The rules in this town, in this state, is you have to choose right now 
If you want to challenge it and take it to court, or you want to get a ticket. The woman says, no, I don't. He says, you have to choose right now if you're going to challenge it or take a ticket. She said, hold on one second. Let's talk through this. He said, there's no talking through this. This is the law. I'm a cop. And he didn't even say it that straightforward. I'm being straightforward. But with his words and trying to be diplomatic, he keeps saying to the lady, you have to decide now, and she won't decide. I'm not lying. They're there 10, 15 minutes. The cop is trying to give grace. Finally, he realizes, <coughs> excuse me, that he has a situation on his hands. He says, hold on one second, because he's going to call maybe for backup just to see, I, I, you know, I need to know how to handle this. He walks back to his car. The woman takes off. This guy can't even believe it. He's just like, you see him on the side of the road, like, what? She drives. He has to jump. Routine traffic violation. Has to jump in the car, track it down. She stops a mile down the road. Who takes off for a mile and stops? He gets out of the car again. Of course, it's gone to the next level because you rejected authority. He's trying to be nice the first time and saying, listen, this is the law. You've got to respond. Are you going to reject it? Are you going to challenge it? You're going to accept the ticket. <clears throat> At this point, he's got to ask the lady to get out of the car. He goes up there. He doesn't want to use force, so he's like, you're going to have to get out of the car. She says, I'm not getting out of the car. She said, I didn't really, I didn't mean to do that. You didn't mean to do that. You put your foot, come on. He realized she's not going to get out of the car. Another 10 minutes, finally she gets out of the car. And he says, put your hands behind your back. You guys know the routine. Hopefully not personally. She says, no way. It begins to escalate. He's like, you don't understand. It was not clicking in this woman's head that he was the authority, and she couldn't change the law, and she had to respond to the authority. All of a sudden, her 15 to 16-year-old son jumps out of the car and comes at the cop. Because he's thinking, i got to defend my mother. And obviously, if his mom doesn't respect authority, she's not teaching him to respect authority. He starts coming at the cop. The cop says, get away, because he realized this thing's escalating. Like this woman is living in her own world where she thinks there's no authority and she can make her own rules. <clears throat> <clears throat> wow, that's a big cough. He has to pull his gun and says, get to the son, because the whole family comes out of the car. I'm talking three kids ages from 8 to 16. The cop now, because there's a routine traffic violation, has to pull out his gun and pull it on his son. And she starts screaming, like, what are you doing? As if she thought there were no consequences and her son could just attack a cop. The backup rolls up. This is a, at this point, I went from laying down to sitting up like you got a kitten. You're kidding me on this video, right? This isn't, people aren't, don't do this. The other cops roll out and they run, the whole family jumps back in the minivan. And takes off again. At this point, I'm standing in my living room looking at the, I'm like, I'm ready to wake up Natalie. Like, this can't, this can't be real. A high speed chase with her family in the car, passing people, causing, like, it's crazy. I can't even believe it. Another 10 to 15 minutes, there's cruisers running. They're like, oh my goodness. I left out that one of the cops shot at the car. Fun. 10 to 15 minutes, you got like three to five cruisers now chasing her down, high speed chase. She pulls over to the hospital. 
They tell her to get out of the car. Now her and the whole family are in trouble. She paid the consequences. She went to jail. Of course, her son got charges because she didn't respect authority. The reason I tell you that story, so many of us are like that with God, with this Sermon on the Mount. You heard the words of Jesus as I preached them. You can either accept them, run to Jesus' grace and authority because you want to be under his care, or you reject them. Some of you reject them and drove a mile down the road and said, hold on, I didn't mean to do that. And then you are confronted again with another thing. Come to me. Repent. Turn to me. And you said, okay, I'm going to get out. And Jesus said, you got to change. Then you did it again. And some of you are on that same high-speed chase in your life, running away. And Jesus is calling you with authority to come to him. Do you guys hear me? This is so serious. Because what we do as a church, what our soul does sometimes, is we take Jesus' authority in places where it's easy. Oh, that's easy. I'll run with that. But when it really challenges the place of our heart, we say, no, I'll give him authority over here, but I reject him in this area of my life. And you can't follow Jesus by giving compartments of your heart. You need to give your whole heart to God. Amen? So I want you to really think about your response to this sermon today. Knowing that Jesus is for you, know that I'm for you. And the best thing you can do is come under Jesus' authority, not run away from it, because that's where the consequences happen. So let's go here. Let's read Matthew 7, 28. Actually, we have it up here now, so don't even turn. We are really technologically advanced now. Matthew 7, 28 and 29. It says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So imagine you were present at the message of Jesus, the Son of God. This is the best preacher to ever walk the earth. He made our vocal cords. He made our lungs to give power to even speak. He created truth. He framed the world. He has come to reveal ultimate truth that will totally counteract the poison that's been spewed by all the religious leaders who don't even know God. Secondly, he comes to give freedom. He comes to give freedom from all the legalistic rules that the religious leaders were putting on people. And he came to preach it with authority like they had never heard before. Like, did some of you just say, did Jesus just say that? I didn't hear that in Sunday school growing up. Like he came, he didn't like say, ask you. Like he said, you know, I'm asking you not to be mad at people. Because anger is like murder. I'm asking you not to be sexual. He said, stop it. <laughs> he said, stop it. Repent and run to my authority. Because it says in that text that people were astonished. So you can be astonished. When you look at the definition of astonished, astonished can mean two different things. You can be astonished and in awe. Like the right heart response is, how loving of God to send his own son to reveal this truth to me so I can walk according to God's ways. Joy, amazement, Jesus, run to you, follow you, worship you, I am yours. That's astonished. I'm in awe. I'm amazed by Jesus. Then there's the other astonished. Oh, no, he didn't. Who does he think he is? coming into my life and telling me how to live. Because this crowd was filled with those who would follow Jesus and those who would crucify Jesus. Do you guys hear me? Because that's what happens with authority. There's no middle ground. You can't say I partially 
listen, you either follow or you reject. And there were many who were astonished and said, who does this, because they considered him just a man, who does this man think he is speaking with this kind of authority to us in our life? So I want to ask you once again, what is your response? Are you astonished that God is that loving, that he would reveal truth to you that's been hidden since the foundation of the world? Are you astonished that Jesus has the audacity to say these things to you and to us as a community in our lives? Would you be a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Or would you be one of the ones who would say, crucify him? I don't like what he is teaching. Because this is what this crowd was filled with. Because he was teaching with authority, the scribes taught a totally different way. Do you guys know what a scribe is? Scribe, these brothers would just write stuff down. I'm thankful for scribes because we wouldn't have the scriptures if the scribes weren't meticulously writing down every word of God, every word of the prophets. Ezra was a famous scribe in the Old Testament. And what scribes would do <clears throat> is scribes, because they wrote down the word of God spoken by like prophets, they would become the authorities on what they had written. They would be the interpreters and the authorities now because they were the scribes that took it. A lot of times they got places in government. They were the priests many times. People would come to the scribes to tell them what the scriptures meant. And we see that <clears throat> Jesus, when he came, his whole sermon on the mount, what did he preach? They've interpreted it wrong for you. They've said they've interpreted the law all wrong. They've made it all exterior and no interior. So it would be like this. Who would have more authority? And you guys know I'm not political, and I don't get political. I have my beliefs, but as a preacher, I don't think it's my place to be political. But the Supreme Court decides if the Constitution, they interpret it, right? They interpret if we're living according to the Constitution. Now, if James Madison, Thomas Paine, Thomas Jefferson, if they showed up on the scene, the designers and the framers of the Constitution, right? They carry a lot more weight because they wrote the thing and because they know the intention of the thing. So many of us would say people are wrongly not getting political. Don't you dare try to make me political. Many of us would say that sometimes they're interpreting the Constitution wrong. The Supreme Court is not interpreting the way it should be. So if these brothers showed up who framed the Constitution... We would allow them to carry so much more weight because they give us a viewpoint into what the Constitution really meant. Amen? Does that make sense? Now, amplify that by a million if the designer and the frame of the world shows up on the scene. The one who all things were made through. Now we're not just talking scribes who are saying, look at the scriptures. Every word that Jesus speaks is scripture. And they're writing it down. It's a total different authority. It's not like, look at what is written here. It says, I am the word of God. I am the word made flesh. I am the authority. I am. And Jesus said that many times. It's a different kind of weight you preach with when you're the one who wrote the rules. And understand, the rules were not writ written. So, there's two different kind of people. There's people who, once again, it's a broad statement. 
There's people who hear sirens and they run because they're scared. And there's people who hear sirens and think, man, my town's safe. I'm glad law enforcement are in it. Who are the people who want to run and get scared? The people who are breaking the law. Who are the people who are happy there's sirens in town? The people who are keeping the law. You need law to interact with God and to interact with others. We need laws in our towns, laws in our states, in order for things to be civil and people to be protected and people to be loved and people to be cared for. Jesus did not make rules so you could not have fun. He made rules so you could be satisfied and not go to destruction. See, when you hear rules as you're taking stuff away from me instead of you're giving stuff to me, then we have the wrong hearts there. We're not being pure of heart. We're not seeing God. We're not experiencing God's grace. Jesus came as an authority, not like the scribes, so that we could be set free. Like that scripture where 119 was, David saying, I long, I meditate on your law day and night. I want to know your rules because I want to live rightly before you and please you and interact with you and bring pleasure to you, you know, like, and worship you and know you and have my life blessed. When I'm up here saying things that Jesus, like when we're reading scripture, the hope is that you guys have better lives rooted in Christ. Not that you have more miserable lives with stuff's taken away. The sin and the disobedience is ruining your life. It's not bringing you joy. There's nothing like delighting in the law of God. There's nothing like following Jesus. There's no satisfaction like that. And that's how our hearts need to respond. Jesus, the authority, you love us enough to come and reveal that to us. Can I tell you about another YouTube video or am I going over my limit? <laughs> um, I watched a judge passing down sent sentences because I, um, I knew this authority message was coming. Because that's the last thing they said. Because people were astonished at Jesus' authority. <coughs> so I saw a judge passing down judgments to people. And I was blown away at the responses of people. Because some of them just cussed out the judge. They just cussed out the judge. And I saw people actually get three more years added onto their sentences on the spot. Like the judge was just like, one more month, six more months, one more year, contempt, two more years. And they were like, I don't give a lot. And I was like, what are people thinking? Like, you just gave away three years of your life because you won't want people to look like someone's controlling you? Is that where we're at? It, that's the human heart. That's our heart. That's our response. Because we don't submit to the authority of Jesus for three, many reasons. But let's just talk about three. The first one is... We don't understand Jesus' identity, so we don't submit ourselves to his authority. I thought you were popping a point up there or something. I said, I didn't know I gave points. <laughs> the first one is, we don't submit to Jesus' authority because we don't know his identity. If you just think Jesus is a good philosopher, or a good guy, or someone who helped the poor, then why would you submit to his authority? Why would he have authority? So when you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of Trinity, God incarnate, who created the world, who saved the world, who's coming back again, you will not submit to his authority. He wasn't just a good teacher. He was a God. He was the Son of God. And when you know that rightly, all of a sudden you put yourself in the right, right place and say, I need to submit myself to the authority of Jesus. Secondly, we're prideful and we want to be our own judges and our own gods. Right? Isn't that what Adam and Eve did? You got all these things to choose from. I bet if I filled this place with gifts and told you guys you couldn't have one, you'd want to open that one so bad. 
There could be a thousand gifts in here. I say, don't open that one. Guess what one you'd want to open up the most? That one, because someone told you not to do it. That's because we don't like people. We don't like authority. Adam and Eve said, no. Why did they choose to disobey God? I want to be my own God. I want to have knowledge of good and evil so I can decide what's right and wrong. And this is running rampant in our culture. Jesus could say something. We can go home and say, well, I don't believe that. I think this is right and this is wrong. Knowledge of good and evil. What we just did, we made ourselves the authority around our dinner table. Thirdly, it's like the response. I don't know if any of you guys heard um, Stephen Fry. He's an atheist. He's a British comedian and actor. He was interviewed recently, and he always just says he's just an atheist. But finally, this guy asked him this tough question. He said, what if there is a God, and you're standing at those pearly gates? What will you say? And he said, I look at him, and I'd say, how dare you? How dare you allow suffering? How dare you allow pain? I don't want to be part of your kingdom. I say that to say that's the heart of man. You just saw this heart put out in front of one. How dare you do this? How dare you do that? We don't submit ourselves to Jesus' authority when we rule Jesus as an unfair judge in our life in this world, as if we know good and evil better than the Almighty God who created morality. Those are three things. He said, God is capricious, and I don't even want to be part of his world if there is a God or his kingdom. The interviewer was all shook up because that brother had a little belief at least because he was like, you're not going to get in there. You know, he got all, his eyes were like, I don't even want to be interviewing this brother. But you see how he totally misunderstands God as capricious and evil? This is not the God we serve. The God we serve laid down his life for us. The God we serve loved the world so much that he sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save it. That's the kind of God we have, who loves us so deeply because we're made in his image that he was willing to lay down his own life, have his body broken, and his blood shed so that we as a community, as a church, could be in relationship with him. That's your God. Unpure, sin-dirty hearts see a capricious God. Grace-filled, Holy Spirit-inspired see a gracious and loving God who sent his son. Do you guys hear me there? That is so crucial. And I talked about this with someone this week. It was so important. When our hearts are messed up, our eyes don't see right. They dirty the lenses, if you would. So when we feel entitled, when we think we're old, when we think deserved, we don't even see God right. But what did he say in the sermon? The pure in heart will see God. When we're humble and when we're broken and when we're gracious and when we allow the Holy Spirit to move in our heart through his grace, then we see God's grace and all his goodness. And you wake up every day and you say, man, this world is filled with grace and he's poured it out on my life. Now, I don't want to leave you guys in a place where you feel like, man, this is so hard to do. Like, isn't that the worst? Like, go do it. Go obey God. Come back holy next week. Fail, 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 fail. Fail. <laughs> right? Jesus died not only so our sins could be atoned for, not only so we can have life through his resurrection, not only so we be part of his kingdom, 
but so that his Holy Spirit would indwell us and enable us to follow him. None of us have any hope of obeying God without the third person of the Trinity empowering us to be holy, to be sanctified, to repent and respond to God the Father. There's no hope for us if God does not live within us and makes us holy. See, it says when we're not saved, when we haven't put our faith in Jesus, we're a slave to sin. Does everyone know how it feels to be a slave to sin? Like, I want to stop doing it. I can't stop doing it. There I go again. Like, we're slaves. Before we're awakened to the truth of God, we are slaves to sin. But when the Holy Spirit has awakened our heart to the truth of the gospel, we come slaves to righteousness. Are any of you slaves to righteousness that it bothers you you have to do the right thing? You kidding me? I want to do this. I got to do this thing. Because you got the, the Lord's working in your heart. The Lord's working in your heart. You wouldn't even be thinking those things if the Holy Spirit wasn't moving you. You're a slave to righteousness now if you're in Christ and the Holy Spirit is going to bring you along. He's going to cause you to be broken in spirit. He's going to cause you to mourn over your sin. He's going to cause you to make peace where you used to bring division. He's going to cause you to put you in, he's going to put you in situations where you're going to be persecuted where before you only cared about your reputation. He's going to give you a pure heart that now sees God and responds to the authority of God. Is that something to rejoice in? That's the only hope we have. So I don't want to leave you guys in just like desperation, like I can't do this. I want you guys to have hope because God has chosen that you will follow his will and know him through the grace of God because the Holy Spirit indwells you. And sanctification takes time. But I'm telling you, I've known some of you for a few years, some of you for 20 years, some of you for all my life. And I'd say many of you, by the grace of God, you guys are not the same. You guys are not the same. I hope I'm not the same, because I'm really messed up. Right? God doesn't leave us that. He finishes that work. That's why we have that hope. He also puts spiritual authorities in your life for your good. For your good. We don't like that talk. Rich has a meeting. He's not leaving during that part. And Bob either. <laughs> God puts spiritual authorities in your life for your good. Let me personally confess, I've been forgiven. I've had such a problem with authority through the years of my life. I'm not kidding. Like, I've been arrested. Put your hand behind your back. I've been in a paddy wagon. I spent a night in jail. It wasn't a long sentence. I had problems with authority. Rooted in my sin and my pride and rooted in the people who were in authority in my life were not responsible. So I said, well, this authority is not good and I'm a sinner. I didn't want authority anyways. It translated into church because I began going to church and following Jesus. And there were some, honest, let's be honest, there's some unhealthy situations in churches. Some guys are in leadership that shouldn't be in leadership. Some guys are corrupt. Some guys get authority for the first time, so they're just yielding it. And so then I ran in a situation where churches were divided, where they were stopping, where people were moving, things going crazy, hearing about all the kinds of immorality. I'm like, hold on, I thought I was supposed to stop following Jesus, and the guys who were leading this train were supposed to be holy. Right? And so then I started saying, I don't need them. I'm going to do this myself. And I got in a situation where all of a sudden I didn't want to be around any spiritual authority. 
because I thought all spiritual authority was corrupt. And that's some from experience and some from my own sin. So I don't want to put it all on that. I don't want to put it all on that. That's some of my own sin. None of us are perfect. But there's a difference between being a weak leader and having failings and living habitually corrupted in a church leadership. I finally ran in a situation where I had the opportunity to go to a church for three years and be under a pastor on the pastoral team. And it was so tough for me. But I knew I needed it. This guy said, come and spend three years and go plant a church. That's Seven Mile Road. This is a guy who was nothing. We have, it's funny, and some of you know Matt Cruz. So we're alike, but we're not alike. So I would describe Matt. He's, the brother's just focused. You know what I mean? Not too many emotions. It can seem robotic, but the, robotic, but there's so much love behind it. So he ain't expressing emotions. He's saying, what you need, here we go. I came with three objectives. Let's move on. Where I'm expressing stuff, I'm talking to people. Let's do this. Let's charge forward. You know, like we're totally two different personalities. You know what I mean? I got kicked out of school. He was a valedictorian. They still use his speech today. Savio Prep, you know? Scored the highest in BU's history for the business exam. You know, they asked me to take a... I couldn't pay attention in high school. Grace, Grace. But we were totally different. But what I respected about Matt was I knew he was for me. I knew he was transparent. I got sick one time. He visited me in the hospital. He helped me out. And I knew that he was for me and loved me and invested in me. So I was willing to put myself under his authority because I knew he cared for me. It changed my life forever. Because I finally got to be in a healthy church that was gospel-centered where the pastors confessed their sins, but applied the gospel, but they sought to be spiritually mature and disciplined and care for the flock. And it changed my life, my family's life, because I was willing to submit myself to spiritual authority. I want to ask each one of you, is the pastor just a guy who gets up here and says stuff, and you take some, you leave some, but he really doesn't have any authority in your life? Are you someone who responds to the authority of your pastors. And you know, I'm not talking sinful authority like, do this, clean up, you're horrible. I'm talking like gentle, Jesus, sacrificial, laying down the life for you, cares about your soul kind of authority. Right? I heard someone say this week, I was at a little network meeting, he said, you don't know if you're someone's pastor till you say no to them and they stay in the church. It's the same thing. You don't know you're someone's pastor until you correct them and they respond and they still stay part of the community, right? If our pastors can't lovingly, gently correct us or lovingly, gently say no to us, they're not our pastors. They're little little people we put up there. I mean, Dave's bigger than me, but they're people we put up there to play roles in our life that aren't really making a difference in our life. You guys know what? The community of God is supposed to be the most interconnected, loving, caring, laying down in life, serving. But if we have spiritual authorities where people can't correct us without us wanting to hit the road, they're not really our pastors. We're playing religion. Right? We need to respond. Like, I have pastors in my life that I respond to authority. They give me a nice rebuke once in a while. They say, Joey, you might have to change this up. They had to speak in my life those three years. You know how many times I confessed to Matt? Matt, I'm having a problem with this. That you're the lead pastor and I'm not. I'd have to confess. He was like, fine, that's normal. You're a sinner. 
I said, man, I'm having a problem with this. I had to work out. You know when you say someone's your, we're on a pastoral team, but the lead pastor carries more clout. He carries more clout, and he carries more responsibility. And he was doing stuff, and I had to filter out of my soul. You know when you go home and you just complain for three hours about that person, but you say you submitted to him? Man, I can't believe him. He did this. He did that. Who does he think he is? Basically, you can translate the whole thing to one sentence. I'm prideful, and I could have done it better. Right? But until I started to allow him and other pastors to speak into my life, my life wasn't changed. Until they said, no, and Joey, you need to change, and this is your strength, and these are your weaknesses, I wasn't able to grow. So I want to ask you guys this, because I've said a lot of tough things, and you guys know when I say this, I'm not talking to any specific people. So when I say these things, there's multiple people in these arenas. arenas. Some of you, I've sat down with you and said, get a job. Get a job. I said a more loving than that. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Apostle Paul said that. We don't want to raise lazy men in Restoration Road. We'll show you so much grace. But if you want to adopt a lifestyle of laziness, and I found out multiple men and say, get a job. How did you respond to that spiritual authority? Did you say, Joey, this pastor that God's put in my life doesn't know the best for my life? I know better? Or did you go out and get a job? How about with sexual immorality? Multiple people I've sat down and said, this isn't sexually holy. You need to repent and change. Did you just go home and keep practicing the same things? Or did I really, as one of your pastors, have spiritual authority because I care and love you and want the best for you, and I'm telling you things not so you lose things, but so you gain things? Did you go home and keep practicing sexual immorality? Or did you say, God, you've given these spiritual authorities in my life who love me and care for me. I need to repent because they're trying to counsel my soul into blessing and reward. This is a good way to check if you really respect God's authority and the spiritual authorities in your life. Finally, I told all of you <laughs> to give generously, right? Don't go there. He's talking about money too much lately. You know how hard that is for me. I'm working on it. I told all of you, the scriptures teach us in this Sermon on the Mount that we have to give generously and invest in eternal things. Were you mad at me when you went home? I don't know. If you, the truth is, if you're in authority, the people who are mad at authority are always going to be mad at you, so there's nothing you can really do. But did you respond to me saying, as a church, we need to grow and give generously, and this is what Jesus calls us to do, to do his mission. Did you totally just say, Maybe that week you gave a little more, but said, I'm not changing my lifestyle of generosity. Or did you really respond to the Sermon on the Mount and to the spiritual authorities in your life? And did it change your life for the better and for God's glory? And I ask you these questions in seriousness for all of our good. For all of our good. Because God is the authority in our life. And the best life, the most satisfying life, the most rewarding life you can live is under the caring authority of Jesus. You guys know how it is to live under your own authority. Is it absolute mess? <laughs> I hear a couple of yeses. I love the honesty in here. I mean, shaking heads, I love it. When our life's under our authority, it becomes a mess. But when it's under Jesus' authority, it flourishes. Now, close on this. What did Jesus say at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, right before this verse? Dave preached on it. It was a little out of, early, out of order. He said, build your house on the rock. Every man who builds his house on all these sayings I've taught, all these things I've challenged you to, all these things I've called you 
to follow me in. He said, if you build your house on these things, the storms, the suffering, the evil, the battles, anything that you go through in life, your house will still stand. But if you build your life on your own authority, those storms are going to come, those tough seasons will come, and your house is going to be washed away. Build your house on Jesus' authority because he loves you and he's for you. And it's the best thing you could do not only for this life, but for the next. Amen?